dice on a fart, I have a better chance of shitting myself than you. No, because... Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, how many times would you say that you shit your pants in a year? This year? Or no, in I a mean, year in general? just since you've been an adult. Fuck. In your I... adult career, if you had to ballpark how many pant poops you've had... Per year. Well, I mean, just in general, I guess. I got, I'll just go with a random ten a year. Ten a year? Yeah. That you full-on shit your pants? Where you, where you got dookie into drawers... Okay, I, we're not talking just skid no, marks. No, 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 no. We're talking about oh shit, I gotta change and take a shower. <laughs> oh, ten a year? Okay, man. I all right. I bow before the king. That's a <laughs> lot of pant pooping. I also have a little bit of IBS. Yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of like the steroids, the the game though. Mm-hmm. I mean, if and you're juicing. Also, asterisk, asterisk needed next to your ten shits a year. But also, we have to take apart, take into consideration the amount of years that I drank. Yes. Okay. Uh huh. That 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 was the main contributing factor. That in was my cases as well. yeah. But what happens is I fuck my system so bad that uh, solid poops, even in sobriety, are a joy. Oh yeah, they're very nice. I got to yeah. tell you, that is one of the things about like giving up hardcore substance abuse. Is being able to poop and being able to poop solid poops regularly. Yes. Well, semi-regularly in my yeah, case. Yeah, like yeah. I've gotten on a schedule that's usually about six thirty in the morning. Like I'll get to work and I'll do stuff for like half an hour and then go. Oh well, uh, yep, uh, it's right on time. I'm a ten a.m. motherfucker. Yeah, the trains are running on time. <laughs> uh, I got to go take the brown freight to the depot. Woohoo. Uh, that was a really bad, yeah. Jesus Christ, that was the least climactic. It could have I was going to say woohoo loudly, and I was going to cough, and I just you know preemptively um, cut that. There is something that I wanted to run by you. Okay, you're going to fucking hate me. Mm-hmm. I just want to. I just want to let you know you're going to be mad. Okay, or you're going to love it. One of the two. Well, that's the shit I love. Okay, so, so I have an idea for a company. Hmm. That would make sauces, but not your, like, conventional barbecues. Like, a barbecue for things that you wouldn't generally put barbecue on. Like, okay. I mean, we'd have to be innovative and get the flavors right. Right. I mean, I can and do I a, was going to, a bomb-ass barbecue for goat. I, well, I was thinking that we could name it after uh, a William Shakespeare and, and call it Bardbecue. Oh dear! And then and, I could cross market it to gamers. No, and we have. Uh, I mean, do you put barbecue sauce on ham? No. No, but you could, and, and you could be, make it lit. It would be good as fuck. It would be ham lit. Oh dear! Oh dear! Uh huh. Oh, that hurts so bad, and yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. Oh, I am a sadomasochist when it comes to those kind oh, of jokes. Oh, and, and for our vegetarian friends out there, fuck me running. What do you have? Do you have a barbecue sauce that you put on vegetables, like in a grill, like a nice mixed grill veggie plate? No, no, no. I usually go savory. Oh, well, for our vegetarian friends, we also offer the taming of the shroom. Oh, fuck me in the neck. Oh dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. What do you think? I fucking love everything about it. The off-kilter sauce, the stupid name. Billy Spear Shakes. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm fucking all in. 
Yeah. I'm all in. Uh-huh. No question about it. And I, I believe the, between the two of us, we have enough of a palate. We could figure out a good barbecue for ham. Oh, hells yeah. Hells and yeah. Barbecued ham? Mm-hmm. And shit, I mean... Just regular barbecue sauce is what vegetables. And now that you've put my tiny little brain on this, I'm sure I can come up with about five or six more. More food-related puns? Oh, fuck to the yeah. Uh-huh. Specifically Shakespearean food-related no, puns. Well, yeah, that's the gimmick. Yeah. I, I would hope you weren't throwing, like... Oh, no. No, <laughs> like no. some Hemingway in there. Nah, nah. Not at all. No, that, that's for our whiskey line. Mm-hmm. All right. I think <sighs> we, uh... Are we, are we all buttery? I am. Slick and smooth like an eel. Indeed. Sliding into your butthole. Oh, dear. dear. As a hagfish (laughs) leaving your your bloated corpse in the ocean. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, yes, I'm I'm that. I'm right there with you, buddy. All right, well, well, hey, everyone else, uh, welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so that you don't have to. My name is Chris Faff, and I'm one of them slippery eels in your butthole. And I am James Marino, and I am the other slippery eel in the other orifice. And this week, who boy, did we have a treat. Uh, this week we are talking about 2019 or 20, depending on where you read, Impetigore. Yeah. <laughs> now, Impetigore is mm-hmm. an Indonesian film, mm-hmm. so we're doing a little bit of a foreign film this week. Absolutely, although I will say a difficulty I had when I was doing some research on this film is they kept wanting to give me a skin disease every time I looked it up. Did you mean Impetigo? And I'm like, no, Impetigore. Yep. I had to keep wet typing in the movie afterwards. It was great. Uh, so, written and directed, and all right. That being said that it is Indonesian, I wanted to say that up top because I'm going to butcher some of these names because I don't speak Indonesian and I apologize, but I still find it necessary to uh, to power through these and try and give them what credit I can in my stupid white people Midwest brain. Well, to add to it, to add to that ignorance, I was not familiar with Indochina as exactly where it was. I had to go do some some research because it doesn't come up on a... Di- How often does Indo- Indonesia or come up in conversation here in the Midwest? Oh, when talking about the raid. Yes. And after that? Uh, talking about any of writer or director Joko Anwar's other films. Right, which is, a, of course, a daily occurrence for most, but yeah, <laughs> for me, I had It's on the to, tip of everyone's tongues. Right, so I had to go look it up, and I didn't know it was primarily Muslim. I All kinds of fascinating shit that now I had to go back and relook at certain scenes to see if I could read more into it. God, uh, this movie's a okay, fucking okay, amazing. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, starring Tara Basro as Maya, Ario Bayou as... Key Sep- Septadi, uh, Marissa Anita as Dini, and Christine Hakim as Niamincy. So, uh, usually, James, I usually have a question for you yes. right now. Um, but I want to get something out of the way. And obviously, we I did probably butcher all of these names. Mm-hmm. But man, these are some of my favorite weeks when we get to do foreign films. Fuck yeah. And I think I figured out why. Why is that? Um, we, I, I especially live in a pretty small white town mm-hmm. and 
I don't get a lot of exposure to other cultures mm-hmm. or anything like that on a regular basis because, again, I don't live in a major city where that is just readily abundant, you know, mm-hmm. where you can go to the Korean market or what have you. And I think that's why I especially love watching foreign films because it's the only like taste I get of something outside of this fucking dump. You know, and and I think you have a I think because I was thinking about that today, today while I was watching the rest of this movie, is I it doesn't come up on these podcasts often, but I come from a very multicultural background. Um, I've been to area a lot of I've been to rural areas in Mexico. In fact, my family's from a super rural, like we are hillbillies out in Mexico. And I've been there. I've seen the villages, and I've seen village life. I've seen a lot of these things, and. Every time I watch a movie that has something to do with anything that I've touched or touched on in my culture or in my cultures, I pull it back in to see if I can find some, some even ground. And I also have to, it's also when I'm most often faced with my own whiteness, because I don't really think about that either. I just usually me, I don't think about my, my, you know, my Hispanic heritage or my, you know, Jewish heritage or any of that. I'm just me, but these movies force me to think about that aspect of my personality, which I really don't even consider. So I'm like, wow. So yes, I am right there with you. I think that's why I like the foreign movies the best too, because it brings me outside of me. And it's not only that, but again, like I don't get a whole lot of interaction on a daily basis with foreign cultures, but also when we watch these foreign films, it forces me to pay attention. I guess probably a little bit more than I do to anything American, and it's not only due to the subtitles, it's due to the <coughs> substance of storytelling mm-hmm. of other cultures, because this is wild. Like, when, if you tried to storyboard it out, it's kind of insane. But, like, I was talking to Kayla before this, she was like, yeah, it's kind of like anime. It, it's told in a very... Asian-centric way. Right. And that's just how Asians... I shouldn't stereotype and generalize and say all of them, but a lot of Asian storytelling is told in this lot of flashbacks, Mm -hmm. a lot of back and forth between uh, present and past and other pasts. and And not having seen a lot of that sort of Asian cinema, I'm wondering if all of it is that seamless. Because... I didn't really stop and think about the different type of storytelling. I was so fucking immersed in this film from the beginning when they were just talking in the phone booths. From the very beginning, this movie drew me the fuck in. It's it's pretty amazing. And I was noticing while I was watching it to, I mean, just to back up your point, that it seems like every single frame of this film, he has absolute command over your feelings attention to detail yes staggering every every scene is just wrapped in tension when literally nothing happens Mm -hmm. i looked at the time code james Uh, aside from the opening shot where we'll get into what happens it is about 50 minutes before anything happens contextually in the narrative you're right but everything has already happened yes and it's all due to the use of score the use of uh camera positioning lighting all of that 
literally nothing happens. I was thinking about it, and if you had taken out all of that and just watched the text of the film, mm-hmm. nobody knows anything about each other. Right. It's At all any just, time. It's all just weird looks and shit. Mm-hmm. But it, again, with the editing and... And the acting, because you can see the distrust in their face. Who's who? What's what? What's going on? You know, how come these people are acting like this? How come they're lying about that and they're lying about that? Yeah, it is until Dini is attacked. Oh my Nothing God. happens. Mm-hmm. And it is so wrought with tension that, again, if it got you to sit 50 minutes into a film with nothing happening, that is such command over what your audience is seeing and feeling. It is goddamn staggering that I this man is did. not just the most popular filmmaker in the world. I did not realize nothing was happening. Because it made me work hard. But you remember I was told, I told you, I think it was last time we did a, I felt uh, that I was manipulated into feeling things. Yeah. That it was just like, it was heavy handed and bullshit. Yeah. At not one second did I feel manipulated in this movie yet. At no time was I not feeling something. And half the time, I don't know what the fuck it was I was feeling. Weird. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, not in an identifiable weird. Yes. And it's just, it is so evocative. Every, you're right, every frame is evocative. Every frame makes you think, feel, or something substantive is going on even when nothing's going on. Mm-hmm. And that is incredible. And I think the other reason, I just thought another reason why we tend to like our foreign movies. Think about how in any country that we get a foreign movie from, just any country, in order for it to get to here, now, I'm, even with streaming, to get on my radar, to get me to look at, has to be an exceptional movie to have gotten that far. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, they voted that, you know, everybody voted with their dollars that this movie was great in South America, but the proof is in the pudding. If it makes the jump, it has to be better or different, or it would never make the jump because we would never take the bother to look at it. Uh, so uh, all, the, all of that being said, no. that very long intro, I, oh, yeah. I do feel Should like, probably start the podcast. Huh? Well, yeah, and... um. I do want to talk, talk about uh, Joko Anwar mm. for a moment. Mm. And just because, I mean, he doesn't need our help, but mm-hmm. goddamn, I'm very, like, I, I get why this guy is so good. So before he was making films, he was a journalist and a film critic. Mm-hmm. And he sat down to talk with, uh, again, I'm going to butcher names and I'm sorry, but Nia Dinata. Mm-hmm. who is a Indonesian filmmaker, and she was so impressed by talking to him that she asked him to be involved yeah. in her next project, or their next project. <clears throat> and it was a movie called Arisan, mm-hmm. which was just, the critics loved it. Everybody seemed to love it. Uh, I mean, real brief history. Uh, 2005 with was his directorial debut with, uh, I believe, a romantic comedy like Joni's Promise, and it, w- it got uh, nine Citra nominations, Citra being the uh, yeah. awards in Indonesia. Uh, n- other notable works, 2008, he wrote Fixie, a psychological thriller that had ten nominations and four wins. It was his first Citra award. Uh, after that, he- So this guy just came out of the gate just pounding. He had a whole different career. Then, hey, here's your chance, and then, boom, he took it and fucking killed it. Yep. Uh, The Forbidden Door, released in 2009. 
Uh, let's see. It says here, Time Magazine film critic Richard Corliss wrote that the film could be Anwar's calling card for international employment if only Hollywood moguls wanted something out of their own narrow range. Fuck to the yeah. And I think that just seeing that quote was like, yeah, that kind of explains, like, because I watched his previous film to uh, Impedigore, Satan Slaves, and I was also just fucking knocked out by how goddamn good it was. Well, it, it is a loose remake, mm-hmm. but it's, holy shit, is it good. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, specifically about this movie, though, it's like, we take the word horror out of it. This is the best movie I've seen in five years. Yeah. B- hands down. Again, we, we I, and again, I'm new to watching movies critically, but goddamn, I'll put this up against anything I've seen in five years. Yeah, it's really, really incredible. Uh, like I said, uh, before this, he uh, did Satan's Slaves, the loose remake. Uh, very, very good. Uh, it had uh, 4.2 million admissions. It also became the highest grossing Indonesian film ever released in Malaysia. Which, I mean, we could be snarky and say whatever, but that's still an entire whole-ass country. That's nothing to fucking sneeze at. Okay, first of all, do you have any idea how many motherfucking people that is? Yeah. And the high... Notice, I said the highest-grossing Indonesian film in Malaysia. Not Indonesian horror. Right. Indonesian film. Indonesian film. And that's what I'm saying. He transcended... He transcended the genre. He transcended everything with this movie. Uh, let's see... Uh... And then he released Impedigore, which received 17 nominations for Citro Awards, breaking the record for the most nominations for a single film. Wow. He Lord of the Rings did. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like I said, that, that was kind of a, a broken uh, history of this guy, obviously, but I did want to just highlight that th- there's no reason we can't get somebody like this making... I mean, I'm glad he's making Indonesian films. Oh, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. very glad because he didn't have to leave home. But, like, if somebody wanted to make a lot of money, give this guy the reins of any project, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he is going to fucking nail it. Fuck because the, just yeah. using Impedigore as, uh, obviously, the film that we're doing, but just as a glimpse into his career... This is almost like you said, almost a perfect film, be it horror or not. Right. But it did take what he said. It took what, 12, 15 years to make. Oh, I, I to don't get more. Well, no, it's, it's, he, he'd been sitting on it for 10 years because he couldn't get his problem was they said the problem with Indonesian film today is the writing. We, we've got some film studios, but we just don't have the writers because we don't have the, the system for writing like they do in the States. So he had this thing that he wanted to do for the longest time, and he finally got the funding, the backing to everything to do this movie, and then COVID hit. So he's been sitting on and in this entire world for 10, 12 years. And I think that also added to the amazing film that we saw, the, the fact that it, that's been sitting in his head to be made for that long. This came out like right before COVID hit. This from Pettigore. Yeah. Then he, well, he was sick. I know he was sick for the first eight, day, eight days of filming with Dang or something. Oh, I don't know. 
Well, I must have read the, the interview about a different movie then. Yeah, I, I read there was something that's coming up in the future that he's been sitting on for a minute. Okay. Or it was a different movie that he had been sitting on. One of the two. Okay, because it gets difficult when you're reading because they won't specific it's it's hard to get specifically he's talking about two different movies and uh-huh. you're trying to parse yeah i think we read the same thing because yeah that's kind of why like i had to read along mm. with it right now because it does jump around that okay good he, he did this and then he did this and then he did this oh, okay. but this movie got these accolades yeah, yeah, yeah. but i just want to okay so i think the very beginning like the first 10 minutes of this if, if we kind of go through it it exemplifies everything that he does right in this film because we get a world that is clearly inhabited. These women feel like they know each other. They're two people working at a fucking toll booth Mm -hmm. on the speakerphone. And one of them's telling the other about like this creepy guy that keeps coming by. And I gotta, I gotta mention this one scene. This is a thing that I loved about this movie. Traditionally, when I've seen a movie from that area, like Malaysia and any of that, it's a very specific type of movie. Yep. You don't get to see a day in the life. You get to see somebody get their ass kicked or this horrible love drama or whatever, but you don't get to see a slice, a slice of daily life. And it's not just a slice of daily life. We're seeing two people that I know from the South side of Chicago. They're, yep. they're bitching about their love light and the toll booth. And they're sitting there. This creepy fucker came around again. I cannot believe it. I'd make more money as a hooker. Yeah. You know, and, and I know the, the Southside Stella's talk just like that, uh-huh. only with a different fucking accent. And that pulled me right in there. Okay, I already automatically care about them because it feels like they know each other, like you said. They got regular jobs. They're just pulling it together. They're, they're us, yeah. you know? And the one of them, when they said something about like, oh, yeah, we should just become hookers. And the one of them's like, well, what if they're too big? And she's just like, oh, you just check the dick first. Make sure it's not too big. And yeah, and it's not this like well-formed out plan in a movie. It's just two people, yeah. Talking two women shit. talking shit bored at their jobs. Mm-hmm. So uh, the guy gets out of the car because, and it's a great shot, he drives forward in his sedan, then a truck comes through. She looks out the window and the truck is still passing, covering up the vehicle mm-hmm. that he was sitting in. Again, it's such a small detail that you didn't need in a film. She could have just looked out mm-hmm. and there's the fucking guy getting out of the car. Mm-mm. But the fact that he put in like, no, this is, they're just at a toll booth. And yeah, there's going to be trucks. Yeah. Who the fuck do you think drives on toll booths? Trucks. Yes. Yeah. It just, it warms my heart immediately. And like you said, it kind of just gets me into the film that, yep, these are, that. that's my character. And it's an amazing open too, because... Like you said, it just plants us firmly in a very specific place, a very specific time. With two people, you're drawn into their conversation. Because when when I'm sitting around, when I'm waiting tables, I love listening to people talk. Because they don't fucking know you're there. Yeah. And I felt like I was standing at a restaurant. I just <laughs> two women bitch. And I know five minutes later, I'd be in the kitchen. These ladies are talking about being hookers, dude. You've got to fucking come out here and hear this. Yeah, and all of that is very much disturbed by the man getting a machete out of his trunk mm-hmm. and approaching the toll booth. Yep. And it's a it's a good chase scene. He chases her down with a machete, swings, and it barely misses, like, the back of her hair. Yes. Like, immediately, this m- movie kicks off with not only good dialogue and great acting, 
but it gets your fucking pulse going immediately. Just you describing it just now, my my pulse is elevated because I remember that now. Because again, it drew you in that quickly. Because not only did it get you place, time, people, relationship, automatically, just seconds later, dread danger. Yeah. And then narrowly missed danger. So you have that sense of relief all in that first boom, opening shot. And not once did I feel manipulated. I just felt drawn in. Like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. Whoa, what's going to happen next? Yeah, she's running. One of her shoes falls off. But when the second one falls off, that's when she falls. Guy hits her right next to her head with the machete. Mm -hmm. Sees the scar on her leg, plunges a machete into the scar, gets shot by a policeman. Yep. Seen over. Yeah. And it's just her and Dini sitting in a bathroom smoking cigarettes talking about what the fuck they're going to do for money. Mm hmm. <laughs> In exactly what you think would look like. Yeah, it's well, I, I skipped some. It's them selling clothes. Yeah, they they moved on. They I assume they no longer work in the toll booth. No, no, that was their sh- that was like their that. side gig because yeah. she said we're not drowning in enough money with the clothes in the phone booth. They 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 have a business outside, so they're doing all of that and still living in that shit apartment. Uh huh. And I remember, I remember hustling, 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 hustling. Working all the hours and still living in a shitbox because everything is so expensive in a city. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that put you in that, or that put me at least in that feeling of fucking hopelessness. Like, fuck, where's yeah. the next dollar coming from? Yeah. And these two 20 year old girls, like they, I mean, they talk, they use being in college as a, uh, a ruse. A, yeah. As an alibi or a, yeah, a cover. They're not in college. Yeah. They're out fucking on the streets hustling. Tries to get the money out of the lady selling groceries. The lady's like, I'm busy. She's like, well, just give me some money. Give me some money or I'm not going to go. Uh-huh. And yeah. It, it, you immediately feel for these fucking women. Mm-hmm. And she finds out that she is not who she thinks she is. Now, I've got a question because my memory is a little shoddy. Didn't she actually pull like a scroll out of her wound? Yes. Okay. I, I want to make sure that I didn't misremember that because that freaked me. I was like, how to did that get there? Yeah, I, I don't want to Because there's no supernatural elements at any point uh, at, at this, until that point. I'm like, how the fuck did the scroll get into the thing? And now that might be a thing in, in folklore or culture that I don't know about. You know what I mean? But I, that just weirded me out. It was never really addressed again. Oh, yeah, they showed it. They did? Okay. Yeah, during one of the flashbacks at the end. There's a lot in the flashbacks in the end. That's where... There is so much... So much that that's I've got to watch this movie like five more times because I want to find out everything. Yeah, and like I said, that's where I want to stop. Yeah, just going through the exact movie beats. But that was yeah. just the. It's ten minutes. Mm. It's ten minutes that gets you just absolutely into the film because it hasn't been all action and you're not already just kind of wiped out and sick of it in ten minutes, mm-hmm. and it hasn't been just all slow ass dialogue. It's the perfect mix of every single thing that you could want in the first 10 minutes of a movie that draws you in. It was a complete arc in 10 minutes. Uh-huh. It was a beautifully written, beautifully filmed, complete arc in 10 minutes. You don't see that ever. With threads that follow through. Holy shit. You know, there are a few clunky things in it that I just kind of went, eh. Oh, no, okay. okay. Like uh, when they get on the bus and they happen to meet the guy who speaks the language that they don't, that was the scroll. Because she took the picture of the scroll that she pulled out of her leg. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens on the bus, the guy's like, oh, I wasn't mad at you and your friend. In fact, I'm a university teacher. I speak Russian. 
or I teach Russian literature. Of course I speak this language. What kind of person would I be if I didn't? And he tells her that, um, what is it? It's almost like an, a protection amulet, hmm. but written by an evil person. Oh. Okay, see, that would make the movie, I love this movie. Yeah. That movie, that made it even, that just made this movie even better. Now there's another layer. I'm like, oh, oh and the, okay, now I know what that makes sense. That makes this make sense. That makes this make sense. Because it all kind of makes sense, but that makes it, oh, fuck, I got to watch this again. Yeah, and it's got like the, uh, just for example, like the Children of Men vibe where it's this entire town where there are no children Mm -hmm. and you never know why. And then you figure out why because they show you a skinless baby. (laughs) Yeah, and then you you switch back in your head going, how many funerals have they had since they started? It was all the skinless babies that they uh, drowned huh. in a bucket, James. Mm-hmm. It looked like a ceremonial bucket. Like this is not the first time, and ain't gonna be the last time. No, that bucket had some wear on it. You know what I'm saying? That that was a more than gently used baby drowning bucket. I'm surprised they didn't just stop fucking. And that's what I'm saying with this movie is just it's kind of auda- audacious to. Center your entire film around dead babies. Well, yes and no, but you gotta. There's a no. There's three threads that we can go through on this. One is the idea of generational curses. Yes, that's what I was getting uh, to. But what I'm saying is uh, that to specifically, oh okay, center your film around and show dead babies. Mm-hmm. Really does kind of show a fearlessness in the storytelling uh, and just their willingness to go that far. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, when we talk about child harm or we talk about a lot of the stuff, this is stuff we don't touch. Yes, it's very taboo. That's what I'm getting. But the way it is presented, I won't say I won't say harmless. I won't say I would sort of it's um, not offensive. It, it both is and isn't, and, and I'm, trying to, I'm trying to word it right. It is presented in a way that we can understand it and somehow palate it, yes. even being offensive. It doesn't, didn't raise this, like, traditionally something like that will make an alarm or go, oh, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this, I can't do this, click, click, click. Yeah. It was so much a part of every single solitary bit that we'd done that my brain somehow just went, okay, it's part of the plot, it's part of the thing. Instead of going, fuck, 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 skinless baby, fuck. No, no, click, click, click. Oh, because I, this wasn't the first time I had seen this movie for this. I had seen it about a year or so before. Mm -hmm. But the first time that I saw them just take a baby out of a lady and just drown it in a fucking bucket, Mm -hmm. I went, what the shit is this movie? Mm -hmm. Holy fucking hell. Because that's one of the top three, top three scenes for me. Yeah, it's bananas. Dude, because it, 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 again, it hits this weird spot in my head where I want to freaking just 86 everything and just shut this the fuck out. But it was so good that I was drawn so much that I couldn't, ju- I couldn't stop. I couldn't yeah. stop. I had to find out where this went. I need to know why they are drowning newborn babies in a bucket. Yes. <laughs> I need to know now. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And why the guy who is the town elder specifically is drowning babies in a bucket. Yep. Okay. So you wanted to talk about uh, the generational curses. Yeah. It, which is why, again, I 
think that is a good lead-in to why the baby murder was more, as you said, palatable and compelling. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is where the story gets real complicated. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost kind of the classic story of betrayal and loss and uh, how do I say pitting. Uh, Everybody against one another. Yeah, pitting house against house, family against family, pitting you know, banishments, everything. I mean, it, it's Shakespearean, ha- having talked about that. It is absolutely every folklore, every tale put put there. You you could take all the supernatural, everything else element out and just have that core story that this entire movie is built around. Mm-hmm. And it would be a fascinating, almost Regency Regency drama, mm-hmm. and it would be an amazing film that way. Yeah, you replace the rural Indonesians with uh, British royalty. Yes, and it's uh, it becomes less compelling because fuck them, yeah, as rich people. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? The story still fits. Mm-hmm. You could take that story and put it in about twenty different melus. Mm-hmm. You know, you could make a gangster film. You could do anything with that story. But what they did with it? Oh my god. Yeah, it's such a basic narrative element that, yeah, every, everybody in this town hates this family. Right. And, and for good reason. Oh, yeah. But, but even prior to that, the, the dynamic, if we just took one guy slept with, the, he had a, couldn't get pregnant, got pregnant, the, you know, all the, the betrayals and the, the cheatings on and the hate from the mother and, the, you know, the... It, it again, it was fascinating just in and of itself. And it all culminates in uh, these people who genuinely believe in this thing. Mm-hmm. And the person who ends up having to pay the price is the innocent. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I was thinking while watching this also is that it's it always really gets me in a movie when you aren't sure who exactly is the antagonist Mm -hmm. because you can definitely feel sympathy for every single side of this story. Mm. Well, except for one major one. Yeah. Mm. But I mean the village. Yeah. I understand why they want this woman dead. Oh yeah. I'm surprised they didn't just outright. Oh, that's her. Boom. Yeah. And I understand that. She was born into this. She did nothing wrong. And we don't want to see our main character right. be slaughtered. And it looked and like the only mistake our main character ever made in her life was to go back. Yeah. You know, you can't go back home again. Just shouldn't do it. Yeah. And nothing there for you. And the only reason that she is going back is because she believes she owns this gigantic house mm-hmm. and they can get some money out of it. That's all. Yep. That was the entire That's motivation. It. <laughs> and it wasn't like greed writ large. It was just like, shit, wouldn't it be nice to live in a decent place and have a, you know, eat three meals a day instead of ramen for breakfast. And hopefully we get the rent. Cause that was constant. Do we have rent? She's coming for rent. Do we have, you know? Yeah. And so it wasn't like, a super greedy thing. You you would feel less sympathy for them if they were like, okay, we'll get this and it's our big score and we'll sell the house and we'll, you know, you know, fuck over the rest of the peasants. No. It was just like, we just want to have some money so that we don't have to live like, you yeah, know, Yeah, because this fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I want it to suck this, less. Yeah, this life fucking sucks. If you have a big house in the country, 
fuck it. Let's go out there and check it out. Maybe we can get rid of it and get some fucking money because mm-hmm. this sucks. Yep. And I sympathize with that hard, oh, James. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and I, I, that's, an, that's another brilliance of this movie because <clears throat> I don't care what strata you're from societally, you can read into that watching this film. You, you, could, you could be you know, upper middle class and watch this. And feel for, you know, those people because every, everybody has a sympathetic edge to them. There's a reason behind it. And it's not cut and dried like everything else. It's not black or white. It's everything's mixed and there's a lot of things involved. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, that's, uh, wow. It's very, very good. Um, I really enjoyed that there was a reason to have creepy little girl ghosts. Yes. Especially after getting through our uh, insidious and uh, that sort of, uh, what do you want to say, <clears throat> mainstream horror. Yes, and, and I would li- I'd like to say that the for once, we get these kid ghosts, right? And they are not possessed entities. They are not out to get you. They're not, they're not going to shank you in your sleep. They're not trying to force you to do these evil things. They're just saying, hey, look. We got could, fucked over. Look at this. This is how we got fucked over. Yeah, could could we go could you go find our bones and mm-hmm. uh put our bones to rest at least? <laughs> and there's one thing that we haven't talked about and to me personally it should be the main point of this film. Puppetry. Though yes. I you know how the idea came to the, the director. He'd uh, heard our urban legend cuz uh puppetry like uh, shadow puppetry is a huge thing in Indonesia. And I don't know if you've ever seen a real one. They are intricately carved or intricately uh, carved out of of uh, like leather and stuff. Yeah, and they're um, absolutely amazing. Without words, you're just the the stories they tell are amazing. But he'd heard an urban legend that there was a puppet made from human skin, and he had spent a long time trying to chase down that legend to find out if everyone was ever made. He'd never found one, but that put the idea for this movie in his head, and the idea was that. The the um, puppets that they were using were made from skin, the the skin. So I just thought that was really, really cool. He made a whole movie out of that, just little germ of an idea. And, and I love puppets. And you love puppets. Yeah. And it led to one of my favorite shots in Which, the entire film when uh, whoever it actually ended up being... It's still kind of fuzzy because so much happens in the flashbacks. Uh-huh. But the uh, blood spa- backlit blood spatter. Oh, yeah. When in the middle of the puppet show, he stands up with his uh, sword and slaughters mm-hmm. an entire group of people. Yep. And then cuts his fucking throat. Yes. <laughs> A lot of throat cutting in this movie. Yes. But what I really, again, we talk about subtlety. I didn't realize that I didn't outright see a lot of violence or a lot of horror. I didn't realize that I didn't see it until I stopped and thought about it. You saw intimations. A lot of it happened off screen. You see the results of even in the, when he kills the little girls, it's behind the screen. You see the shadow and the next snap. Oh, God damn. Oh, but 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 do you see what I'm saying? You don't outright see them walk, the physical body touch, physical body snap neck. You didn't see any of that. It was all intimated. It was very, it was very psycho. With the glaring exception of Deanie's murder. Right, but they put it all up there, 
and you do get the gore, which makes you even imagine the stuff you don't see even worse. It was enough to show you. Yeah, you don't real. Yeah, you are absolutely right. You don't realize they haven't shown you graphic violence until they do, mm-hmm. and it's shocking. And then when they intimate the violence again, it's worse because you have seen it, and now your brain is taking it worse. And again, it's brilliant filmmaking, dude. I want to talk about my, my absolute favorite se- just sequence in the film is okay. Deanie's murder. Okay. Because the two villagers show up at the house, mm. and again, it's not a scene where anything is really said, but the tension in the filmmaking is so fucking thick. Mm-hmm. And she eventually blurts out the, oh, are you looking for, and I forget the, uh, Maya's original name before yeah. she was taken. Yanya or something. Yeah. yeah. And she says, oh, well, I'm her. And you see their faces change. Mm-hmm. So they take her on a walk because they're going to meet the village elder. Mm-hmm. She says, well, why aren't we just going on the main road? Well, it's faster if we go this way. Uh-huh. They end up stopping and confronting her in the woods. Mm-hmm. And James, uh, usually when we see somebody get hit in the head with like a club or a, a large piece of wood in this instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it almost until impact and it cuts away. It did not cut away. It, it was one of the best like stage hits that I have ever seen. I don't know how they did that. Okay, remember when I told you that <clears throat> I had to stop this movie occasionally, not because I was disinterested, but because there were too many things going on and I had to stop and process before I could continue because I was loving this movie so much that I didn't want to miss a fucking beat. Um, that scene upset me like you absolutely would not believe because I have seen people curb stomped. I have seen people get hit with blunt instruments and tradition. When you, if you see somebody get clipped, like with a table leg or something, their body moves and they absorb some of the impact. But if you've seen anybody clubbed up against the wall, there's no movement and the head doesn't bounce that. And the way they filmed it was exactly like I've seen people get their heads popped up against the wall. And I was so upset that I had to wait till the next day to continue watching because it fucked with me so bad. You want to talk about absolutely authentic. When you see something and then you see it depicted on screen, you think that there's no way that they can make it look real. I don't know how the fuck they did it because I'm having an anxiety attack just talking about that scene. I mean, the the actor playing, uh, again, I'm sure they say his name, but the actor playing the villager that swings that, mm-hmm. I hope that I, he has to have been like a very, very trained like martial artist fighter or something. Or a because, very specifically trained martial artist. Yes, because it doesn't slow down when it makes impact with her face. And nope. like I said, usually in a movie when somebody gets hit, like as soon as the impact hits, it cuts. Right. We see the entire follow through. We, we again, see bounce back. Yeah. She gets fucking clubbed in the head and it's not like a shot from a hundred yards away nope. to where you could fake it. Nope. It's, it's like a medium shot. It's right there in your face. And despite the blatant disregard for stunt people <laughs> In most Asian uh, cinema countries, 
there's no way that they could have clipped them, clipped a person like that, and they ever were not significantly different. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because that well, wow. Yeah, and she, they end up uh, bashing her on the head with a rock. However, this is where this scene really fucking kicks off for me, mm-hmm. because it starts with the shot of her hanging, and her face is right side up with the hair mm-hmm. sticking straight up. Yep. So it's that horror shot that we've seen in, you know, a whole bunch of shit. Right. But the camera, uh, while panning out, I believe, or uh, zooming out, also rotates back to show her hanging, like, in this little courtyard that they have. Mm -hmm. And it's her begging for her life until the old woman walks in, pretty much says, like, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. And then very, very quickly, like very much without warning, slashes her throat. Mm-hmm. The blood is trickling down her face, and then they zoom back in doing that rotation again to show the blood effectively running up or down her face, but up our screen. Yep. James. <laughs> now, I did a very bad job of describing that. No. But to see it visually, it is so incredibly done. Look, I do a tiny bit of writing, but to describe, to actually describe with words that scene, that's about as close as we can get because it is so amazing. It, it, it fucking, you, you, your brain is processing what you're looking at. It's reorienting while it's processing what you're looking at. And then by the time it stops, your brain pull, it takes about, it took me about three seconds for my brain to pull back to what exactly just happened. And it was just like I got thrown into a tornado, pummeled against the wall, and then stopped and reacted to it. That's how it felt when I saw that scene. Because, yeah, it's the gore running up her face in what looks like an unnatural way. Mm-hmm. And it's so visually arresting when they go back into that like small turn yep. to put her back, I guess, upside down or right side up from where the sequence began. Yes. Reoriented her to the correct orientation. Yeah, and then it's immediately followed by the old woman slapping a set of dismembered tits over like a clothesline. Okay, you got to gotta, dry out. The you got to understand. I had to stop this film, and I must have accidentally fast forwarded just past that particular scene because the scene that struck me first because I had to go back and rewind it because I felt like I messed something is out of context. I watched one that scene because the clubbing disturbed me so much. And then I saw the other scene the next day, and I wasn't putting two together. So I'm sitting there going, "What the fuck? Is she putting up on that clothesline? It doesn't look like laundry. Is that an animal?" And then you see the tits. You're like, "Oh fuck!" Uh-huh. So I had a whole time to process what I had seen, and then I just got smacked. I got kicked right in the dick again. As soon as I turned the movie on, I had to go back and rewind it to watch the whole scene over again to get the context. I was like, "Fuck me, running." And it, one of the things that's so fucking smart about it, too, is while they are chasing Deanie in the woods, one of them, just passively, it can fucking scream right by you if you're not paying attention, says, don't cut her skin. When they're trying to get her under control, the guy pulls the knife out of his yeah. back pocket, and the other one says, don't cut her skin. I forgot about that. Yeah. And that, it, you sit there and go, well, what the fuck does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, Cause everything that was coming up in my head was just not good. No. And because we have, 
none of the actual story has been explained to us either. Right. And we haven't explained any of the story either now that I think about it. Well, no. Okay, so. <laughs> we could try. Oh, man, I want to try and get this right. So, Maya's father uh, married the most, he was uh, the original puppeteer, mm-hmm. married the most beautiful woman in town. Uh-huh. For five years, they couldn't Good conceive prank. a baby. Right. The baby was born without skin, mm-hmm. and nobody saw it. Right. Until a few years later, three five-year-old girls went missing. Yep. Then is the first time that any of the villagers had seen the girl, the, the wealthy man's daughter. Right. After the death, or after the disappearance of the three girls. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. And so. It's said that he was practicing black magic and skinned three little girls to essentially uh, Frankenstein cover his daughter. Mm-hmm. And then make puppets from the rest of it. Yes. Yeah, puppets. I mean, um, yeah, that was horrible, horrible. And Maya is that little girl. Mm-hmm. And they, the villagers then believe the only way to... Uh, and the, every uh, baby born in that village is born without, without skin. skin. The only way to reverse this curse is to skin... Maya. Yes. Yes. That's... Yeah. With also the subtext of Maya's grandfather used to nail uh, the maid, Uh which is the town leader's mother. So he Uh is the brother of Maya's father... That would make her an uncle? But then at the end, Maya... It's Maya's father, I thought. Says, yeah, that it's her father. This is where I get very Okay, lost. no, no, no. Here, here's the deal. And this is how I know what happened was... Okay. <laughs> Maya was... Or Maya's father was also getting it on with somebody else, which when the daughter was born... I think... Oh, God damn it. I got confused. Yeah, Maya's the daughter... But he was also fucking around, which caused the other witch to do, or the, the mother-in-law, or the mother, or the uh, housekeeper, yes, to do black magic. See, this is why I figured out. I think I figured out the ending of this movie. Okay. So she was pissed and put the curse on. Yes. He he started one thing where he killed, which is a different thing. He, yeah, the father he, did in fact murder those three little yes. girls and take their skin. Yeah. To make puppets. Yes. And, that was a thing. And buried their bones. Yes. In, in the, the basement. basement. That was a thing. And yes. that could have been its own curse. But that's its own thing. She put the curse on for the baby to be born without skin. And when the father wasn't killed and nothing happened and the baby got away, that curse went with her. So the curse is actually from the, the, the old woman. The old woman. Not the father. Yeah, no, exactly, because yeah. that's what how the film ends, because she's talking to the uh, village leader and telling him, Father, you're my father. Grandmother, what have I done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a... So... Oh, boy. But at Plus the very ending... Also the wrinkle, the man at the very beginning who tried to kill her in the booth mm-hmm. was the husband of the woman who's helping her. Yep. And she admits that your husband was shot by a policeman trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. 
and the level of tension that that raises. Oh God! My the, God! So there's again, we we can lay it out simply, but every time we put that tiny that tiny extra layer, the uh, the, the betrayals and relationships, the those little tiny things add up to be so much more than the sum of their parts. So yeah, that, but it's it's hard to put a succinct thing on what this movie is about, and especially because it's so saturated with flashbacks to this period, but flashbacks before that, mm-hmm. intermingled with flashbacks after, and with the three dead little girls and going into Maya's brain and showing her where their skeletons lie and what literally happened. And mm-hmm. Again, it's the... You see this... I see this a lot in a lot of, like, Asian horror films because, I mean, that's yeah. my preferred... Yeah. medium and genre and when you watch a lot of these yeah there is a lot of flashbacks there's a lot of you have to keep a lot straight in a lot of characters which is funny because i know we just bitched about that with the void mm-hmm. but i give this movie a pass because it, again it's the generational this person that person all led to all of these events that you're now seeing unfold and eventually it all wraps up with a real big wet sloppy kiss to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh hell yeah. But I I will say I will say this because traditionally and you know me, if you give me too many things, I'll shut the fuck down and I'm like I don't care. Mm-hmm. The way they did this, they they threw all these things up and you know, with the flashbacks and everything, and they kept adding and adding and adding, and usually that would shut me down, but they kept it so together and so linear that it challenged me to keep up. I'm like, fuck, what, what else you got, motherfucker? You got that, something else? That is an absolute perfect way to say this, that it challenges, I don't want to say challenges you to watch it, but it, it goes back to that commanding the audience. It forces you to go... Okay, I need to know what's happening. And not in a cheap, ham-handed way. In a a natural way to just pull your attention. It's like, you know, some people can talk, and they could talk about scratching their ass, but the way they speak, you're just like, oh, yeah, scratching your ass, cool. Mm -hmm. This is exactly it. Fucking talent. Love it. Goddamn, what a movie. Yep. I'm I'm real tempted to just say, fuck it, and make us do Satan's Slave. (laughs) I'll do it, because I... I will spend I will spend as much time in this guy's world as he'll let me have. Uh huh. And I don't say. When do I say that? When do I ever say that? I I don't think I ever see you get excited about directors. Nope. I know, like when it, off mic, when it's just you and me bullshit, and I'll be like, man, I can't wait for this guy's movie and this guy's movie mm-hmm. or this lady. You know, you're just like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. But <laughs> man, I think we found somebody that James is going to obsess over. Well. Because I, I again, maybe it's because of the different difference in cultures. I have seen firsthand rural, rural members of like my family. I have seen the areas that look like this in a different country. You know, I know that's where I'm from. I've lived in areas similar to this in a city. I I know this, and so when I when I can get that deep, deep, deep feeling, I don't get that very often in movies. And again, a lot of it is. I do, I do embrace my white side, and I watch all these movies, but I, nothing is ever really speaking to me culturally, speaking to me, you know. That's why I love doing these or anything with a Hispanic theme in it, because then I'm like, oh, all in. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, any any more of this, yeah, I'm I fucking there. I haven't seen there. you get this excited since uh, La Llorona. Oh, I fucking love that movie. Uh-huh. Yes. But in this, how do I want to say it? The ending of this movie does get dark, and I think he's actually very, very good at using darkness where a lot of other uh, filmmakers are not. And it didn't seem like a cheap, even though it was kind of a weird ending, it didn't seem like a cheap grab for a sequel. It just seemed like a natural ending. Hey, fuck you. thought it was going to be okay. It wasn't. Ha ha. I'm trying to think. How do, uh, does that, does the ending make sense? To me, it does because I told you about. But they're not skinless babies. It's now no. it's just miscarriages. No, here, no, she fucking ate the baby. Yeah, I saw her put something in her mouth. She but... ate the fucking baby. That's the curse now. Oh, she's oh. <laughs> like I said, I, there's so much going on because was she was so straight. fucking pissed that she had sold it and made this pack. The pack still exists because she made a pack with dark forces to make this happen. It was circumvented in this loop. Because she left the area. Ooh, that's good. Okay? So this curse still exists, and she was not properly laid to rest. She still has this pact, which means that her and whatever she made this evil entity are still going to cause evil in this world because the loop wasn't closed properly. And until that loop, the demon and her have an in to fuck with people and to cause chaos on this earth. That's, that's my theory about the ending. I like that a lot. Because, like I said, this is... Clearly not the first. I believe this was the uh, second, third, and fourth time that I had seen this movie. <laughs> I, again, I really, really like it. That's why I keep watching it. But mm-hmm. the that's why I'm trying to get the ending figured out because there's so much thrown at me. But it, like you said, it doesn't feel like a cumbersome amount. No. It it rewards you for paying attention. Yes. <laughs> It it uh, it does not insult your intelligence one single bit. In fact, it rewards it. It it can be one of those movies where you can watch it just to watch it, or like I'm going to do, and I've done this with a couple movies we watch now. It is so intricately laid out, and there are so many different things up there that all come to fruition. I want to see what I miss because I guarantee you that every time I watch this movie, it's going to be a different movie. Yeah, I just caught the, uh, it was like the third watch, I believe, where the, uh, her putting the fans in with the bones finally, like, made sense to me. Oh, okay. Because there was so much going on that, yeah, I kind of have to parse the story out into, like, okay, I got this part, I don't have to pay attention as intricately. Okay, this is the part that I don't get, and then, Mm -hmm. yeah, I really focus on that and try and figure it out, because... It's quite a tale they've woven here. But even if you didn't, you could just get drawn in by the visuals. Oh, yeah, it's still good. The acting in this movie. You the, still get to see a skinless baby. Hell to the fucking, yeah. That a was few me- times. That was metal as fuck. It was metal as fuck. So, yeah, but the just the lighting in this movie. I could, we could, if we, we could do like five podcasts, we do one on just lighting, one on sound, one on effects, and one on acting. Because there's that much we could talk about. It's ridiculous. But instead, I'm going to ask you, James, mm-hmm. would you uh, would you recommend Impedigore to anyone? Yes. Because <laughs> this isn't, it's like, I've gushed over this movie, but it is not something that I would recommend to uh, certain people. I don't ever talk to my ex. She was a theater major. But she did do one thing. She would have an Oscar party every goddamn year. 
and I would drag my sorry ass along and watch as much as she'd force me to watch, which luckily I learned a lot about movies that way. But I would recommend this movie to her and she don't like horror movies and she's picky and I don't ever want to talk to her. But I like this movie so much that I want everybody, especially people who I know, know about acting, know about theater, know about movies. I want them to watch it. So they will call me in about five minutes and I can spend some more time in this world talking more about this fucking movie. <laughs> I, I, so don't even have to fucking ask me. Why are you pointing at me aggressively? Because <laughs> that's how I fucking talk. I love this motherfucker. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So yeah, go watch Impedigore. Hell's yeah, yeah. And also, you can go find us on, on the intranets. Indeed you can. James, what have we got to plug? Well, odd that you should ask. Why are you thrusting your pelvis at me? Because <clears throat> I've got in the works, right now, I am halfway through writing, and I have two other people writing, a small short for me to film. Ooh. Because I plan on starting a YouTube channel in the next three months. Ooh. So, what you didn't know walking into here is you're going to be involved in the filming and writing of a project for a YouTube channel for this station. Okie dokie. Uh, Minimally, because I know what your timing is like. Dog shit. (laughs) Right. But when I started, when I threw this at the people who were helping me write this, and the people who will be helping me film this... They realize that we have a window of about, well, I'm holding my hands about eight inches apart uh, to film this. So, but it's in the works and I'm about halfway through the planning stages and I've already tapped people to help. So, boom. Big stuff. You can also find us at our Facebook group. We have an Instagram page. You can send us an email at horrorvomitpodcast at gmail.com. And and also... (laughs) In, in, in the words of X-Pac! <clears throat> Suck it. Suck it. All right. I think that's enough. Oh, do that. All right.